Hi, this is Lisa from Nashville on the Rocks. And in this very first episode, we talk with the uber talented, badass rock singer, Serena Joy Crow. Crow. Serena, I am so, so happy that you are the first guest on Nashville on the Rocks. Nice. Thank you for having me. I swear to God, I love you so much. When I was getting a list compiled together of people I wanted to have on, like you were at the top. Oh man, that really, that means a lot. No, hands down. Like the five (laughs) people that I named right off the bat, I was like, Serena, I want Serena Joy on this podcast. I just cannot wait. You're so good at what you do. Seriously, like I've... I've been saying for a long time behind the bar, and I told our mutual friend Mitzi this. Yeah. I was like, Serena on stage is my spirit animal. Oh. I was like, hands down, she just has the best vibe. Oh. She has like the pipes, the skill. You are so good with running a show. Oh, thank you. you that, seriously, you get everybody's attention. Wow. I just thank want you. you to know that. That's a huge, huge compliment considering mm-hmm. 90% of those shows you saw, I was wasted. So <laughs> that really means a lot to me. Well, you know what? You can never tell. I just want you to know that. I got to say that. It um means a lot. <laughs> No, you always sound great. Oh, thank you're always you. on point and uh, you have so much fun with the crowd too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gotta and, have fun. No, you gotta yeah. have fun with it. And that's so forming this podcast has been such a joy because I knew that you would be the perfect guest. Oh. And so considering you are the first guest on the show, you are my little guinea pig. I love it. But we are gonna rock out. Let's so, do it. Yes. I've got a couple of questions that I wanna get into. But first, uh, let's just talk about you for a moment. Um, So you're a Tennessee native. Yes. So I was born um, in 1995 in Columbia. I'm I'm a little young. You're a youngin. I'm I'm like uh, I, I like everybody calls me an old soul. So my mom is uh, a mother, a single mother of four daughters. Oh. I'm the baby of four, oh my God. and uh, I was born in Columbia, Tennessee, which is about an hour outside of Nashville. Sure. Um, basically, my mother um, had her tubes tied. She wasn't going to have any more children, and thought she had a cyst on her ovaries and it was me. <laughs> it was just me. Are you serious? Yeah. And so um, she kind of was shocked because she had been told that, you know, she couldn't get pregnant with yeah. a tubes type. She was like, and it's so, not happening anymore. Yeah, yeah. And my survival rate was actually very low. Two oh. babies do not survive. That's really rare that they, you know, yeah. actually that they, you know, end up carrying to term. And so, um, yeah, my mom ended up having me and um, I'm the only one of my sisters that can sing. Oh, my God. And, do they um, know that? Yeah, uh, I think so. <laughs> I think we're at that point now where they've all let go of that dream of being a singer but they're like it's just um, gonna be serena's we're gonna let her take the the reins on that so i mean my mom yeah so i grew up in columbia and um my mom and i we just kind of decided well you know my mom found out i could sing in church of course i grew up in a baptist church awesome and uh my cousin who played piano kenny who was like my mentor Mm -hmm. and kind of like the father figure that i like never had he was like always there always like you know giving me advice just being a general like parental figure for me um he kind of like realized he gave me a solo in in church and he realized that like 
I could like match pitch and like sing. And he like told my mom, he's like, you know, she's she's really good. And my mom's like, no, she's <laughs> no way. And he's like, yeah, no, you'll see. And like I did this solo at church and I remember what it was. It was Jesus Loves Me. Oh, well, I love that song. And <laughs> thank so you. And Kenny does like the, he was at the time, this was like when like, um, gospel music was turning very secular in a way. Like Kirk Franklin was very mm-hmm. popular. So Kenny would like remix these hymns and Jesus Love Me, he had like this like this remix idea. So I was like, okay, sure. So we did this remix and um, my mom was just like completely taken with it. And so from there, we just hit the ground running with like performing. I did like a lot of political, um, like politicians in Columbia, they would do like galas. I would go and sing, you know, I'd have like a track. I'd just sing, you know, I don't know, like the greatest love of all by Whitney Houston, you know, whatever my mom could come up with. And how um, old were you? So I started, I, my first performance on stage, like, uh, like outside of church was 10 years old. Wow. And, uh, so I 17 years I've been on stage um, wow. and uh, my mom, she kind of just, you know, spearheaded that she yeah. put in a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of, you know, sleepless nights and just like, I don't know what we're going to do, but she wants to do this. So, wow. yeah. So I was That's very awesome. lucky because I had even though my mom was a single mom and she didn't really have a lot. She has a lot. She is my number one fan. Like nobody believes in me more than my mother that you is know. that's going to be something that I was going to ask you later on. Yeah. Um, your mom has always been so sweet, and I've always gotten kind of gotten the idea that she's like your manager. She is. So okay. she is. I like. To, she's a momager, right? She's a momager. So my joke about my mother is that she's the black Chris Jenner. Um, <laughs> she is. That meme of like Kris Jenner where she's like got the camera and she's like, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Like yeah. while Kim is getting photographed by somebody else. Yeah. That's totally you're my mom. Amazing. You know, my mom is like 10 toes down for me. Like um, in, in all the best ways, like she's been somebody that didn't know very much about the music industry and mm-hmm. just like really observed and was like a sponge. Like any room we were in with music executives or producers or even just recording, my mother was looking at everything. She was standing like, like a lot of people looked at it like she was being overbearing. Like we would be recording these little demos and my mom would be like standing to the left of the engineer and, right. and um, people would be like, isn't that kind of overbearing? And I'm like, no, she's just, wa-. she would just be like watching everything he did, like every she's, button he she's pushed. She's just kind like, of curious She about wanted it. to know what was going on and, you know, and, and at the time when I was younger, I didn't understand and I often was kind of a jerk about things as a kid because I'm a kid and you know you know you want to just like play PlayStation and like go outside with your friends Mm. you don't want to be a singer you don't want to be a famous singer and my mom you you don't want to take the time to do everything that you know needs to be done in order to grind yeah especially in this industry well and my mom was a hustler I mean she was a single mom she Mm -hmm. worked two jobs she she understood that from the jump and she also really easily and quickly realized that the music industry was not a safe place for a child. So she was very overprotective of me just to keep me from derailing early. And so I'm forever grateful for that because at the time I might not have understood or I might not have liked it, but as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, where would I have been without my mom? Like I would have been a mess. I think that's super smart because it's like you hear these, you hear just shitty stories happening and then you know, you're, you're kind of thinking, is anybody there for like 
kids or teenagers. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. Or is everybody just kind of sucked into everything? Yeah. So it's kind of cool that your mom was there to like protect you. Like oh, she yeah. wanted to make sure that your dreams were happening, but then she really wanted to make sure that you were okay. Oh yeah, my mom. She's she's she is my momager. Um, my best friend, my number That's one awesome. fan. She's, she's, you know, and I go to her and we don't always agree. I mean, we mm-hmm. all, we butt heads all the time about the direction of what, you know, I need to be going in and, you know, or why don't you play here? Or why don't you do this? And sometimes I'm like, no. And she's like, well, I don't understand. And we butt heads, but it's just like, it's no different than a, a regular artist and their manager, but yeah. it's the same concept. It's just much, she's my mom. So do you think as you've gotten older, like you've grown into things and you know more about uh, your music and what you want to do and, and opportunities that you have. Are you kind of taking the lead on that more? Yeah. Okay. Um, I It took a long time for me to kind of navigate some mm-hmm. things in my life. Um, when I was a kid, as it is often so with young artists, a lot of people in your life will kind of drive your direction. Like, sure. you know, you'll have a lot of producers and a lot of engineers and there's a lot of people that are a lot older than you telling you what you need to do. Mm. And so for a long time, you get like really used to just like going where people tell you going and doing whatever anybody tells you to. And then you reach this point where you're like, what do I want to do? Like, Mm -hmm. what is it that I want to do? And I, you know, after, um, like around the time I was like 1920, I just was like, I have just been singing whatever anybody else has told me to sing for mm. 10 years. And I'm just so tired of this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I like physically cannot do this anymore. I need to sing what I want. I need to pursue what I want to pursue, whether it's playing in certain clubs, whether it's, you know, doing certain sessions, I need to take control of what I think is going to make me the happiest. Um, so totally like just yeah. coming into who you are and like your yeah. own. Yeah. And that was kind of like, Rock and roll had always been there. I had always really loved rock music. I'd always kept, I kept going back to rock songs. And my mom kind of didn't understand. I mean, she likes rock and roll and Mm -hmm. she knew a lot of the songs that I liked and a lot of the artists, but she never quite understood what drew me to it. And then, you know, once I, once I started singing more and performing more in Nashville, my voice started to take on this like sound. And I was like, oh, I was always meant to sing rock and roll. Like I was kind of always, my voice was always like primed to do that. I just needed to like lean into it. So we kind of, Nashville is what really brought out that person in me that like, oh, I'm going to be a rock artist. Like that is what I'm going to do. So that's so cool because like the first time, cause you had been playing at Acme for a couple of years. Like when yeah. I, when I worked there yeah, and like, that's why I know that you can, I speak firsthand and why you, why I know that you can hold a crowd because I get to watch all these bands yeah, and you know, it's not like I'm just watching the bands because I'm Right. Mixing, drinks mixing drinks and, and talking and, to people yeah. back there. But there are so many times where it's like you just stop and just look up. And I'm like, yep, that's Serena. Just work in the crowd. Yeah. Like, hold it. So it's like I could see it yeah. like wholeheartedly. And I can't remember uh, when this was. And I can't even honestly remember if it was night that I was working or if I was there. Maybe I had gotten off of work or something. Mm-hmm. But you were singing this song. And I... I may have been drinking tequila, so I probably was <laughs> off of work, but you, it was either a Led Zeppelin or an ACDC song. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, it was shit. absolutely Led Zeppelin. That, okay. Yeah. I was like mind blown. And I, and that's when I immediately texted our mutual friend Mitzi. And I was like, 
Serena is my fucking spirit animal. <laughs> I was like, oh my yeah. God. I was like, yeah. she just destroyed that song. Oh. And I don't see too many people, for one, try to attempt Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And two, many women try to attempt yeah. Led Zeppelin. So like, but you just crushed it. And I remember, I think you had braids at the time. Oh yeah. You like dip back and your hair was like touching to the <laughs> ground. And it just looked so epic and oh, amazing. Yeah. And I was Thank like, you. I, that was the first time that I had heard that side of you before, because I remember you singing like Demi Lovato. Oh yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah. I love Demi Lovato. Oh, I mean, like honestly, there's the path to rock and roll for me went through so many other genres. Like oh, sure. I started off singing. I've always sung all genres. Yeah, I'm never Paramore. Yeah, I you was sang doing, a lot of Paramore. I, was, I love. I'm mm-hmm. a huge, huge Paramore <laughs> fan. Like it is sickening how much no. I love Paramore. But well, I mean, yeah, she's I mean, my mom started me off doing. You know, I started off with you know Whitney Houston and. Yep. You know, and then it was like, okay. And and it wasn't like my mom was saying, like, you need to be this kind of artist. She was just saying, like, these are songs that you need to know. Like, these right. are iconic songs. I Want to Dance With Somebody is an iconic song. You know, and then and then I'd learn that one. And she also, she'd say, okay, now you need to learn Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. I'd be like, why am I learning this? And she'd be like, oh, these are songs that you just need to know. And, like, so my voice was molded because I was shown different genres. I was able to form and teach myself how to properly use my voice because I just liked everything. I I loved how everything sounded. Um, So yeah, some of those nights at Acme, you know, I had, I was doing, you know, like Earth, Wind and Fire Mm -hmm. and, you know, Demi Lovato, you know, and um, some other pop stuff, Ariana Grande. And and then, you know, then it would be like- all sounded amazing. Thank you. It totally did. And then there there would just be like one moment where I'd be like, okay, can I sing rock and roll for you guys? And people would be like, yeah. And I don't really think anybody in that crowd ever really took it serious. Like I was really going to come out and do like a whole lot of love. Right. And then when we would do it, they'd be like, what is happening? They were just like, (laughs) Wow. She can really do that. Yeah. Well, it's just like an extra layer. And, you know, typically, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, is that every major band that I've been into for the past, like, 30 years, like, someone lives here, yeah. you know? And, yeah. Or they've moved here recently. Yep. And it's like, I love, I, I've always been the type of person where I'm like, I love if my ear likes it, I like it. It doesn't, yeah. it does not it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. But yeah. I have always gravitated to rock. So that's one thing where yeah. I, when I still, you know, deal with people that are not from here, they're still just surprised. So that's kind of why another reason why I wanted to do this was to kind of showcase people. Yeah, for sure. You know, that yeah. are, that are doing that, that working musicians that are here, um, you know, in the type of, genres that maybe is just different from what most people think it is yeah so all right so getting getting into that like so when did you move to nashville because columbia isn't you're not too far away no i I lived in columbia up until 2019 i moved to nashville september of 2019 is it that soon yeah damn i got my first apartment because i lived with my mom and my grandmother helped my mom take care of my grandma okay um towards and i was like working a day job at the same time um so basically when I met you guys, like at Acme, I was just coming up to kind of see what the music scene was like here. Um, and I had been performing. I had my own band already. Yeah. We just only performed in Columbia. And so okay. um, one of my band members, um, 
Carl Fields, mm-hmm. um, my bass player. He's one of the original band members of my band. He um, was bringing me up to see other bands that he played with so I could kind of see how it worked, you know, downtown. He wanted yeah. me to really get a grasp of like what it was like to be fronting a band downtown because if you've ever been to downtown Nashville, mm-hmm. it is kind of the Wild West mm-hmm. in a way in these bars with people and, you know, they're drinking and they're yep. wanting to song requests. And it's like personalities are flying and you have to kind of be just like really on. You have to just yeah. you have to turn the switch on when you're on stage and just that's be probably ready. the best way I've heard that put. Is yeah. Personalities flying. That's accurate. Personalities are flying mm-hmm. everywhere. And and I know a lot of, you know, we we got a pretty good, you know, at Acme, you get a pretty good group of people. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can't imagine some of these guys that I know that play, you know, mm-hmm. down the street and yep. they get these people that are just, you know, I've been in those bars and seen. Yep. I, I used to play a tin roof, too, sometimes. And it would be like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, and that was going to be kind of leading into one of the next questions I have is that so being in the band that you're in, like you've performed with Sam McCrary in the mix a yeah, bunch and yeah. you've performed with your own band. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Blacktop Blonde. Blacktop Blonde is the name of my band. That yeah. is your is that the same band that you're playing with in Colombia? Yes. So okay. we started Blacktop Blonde in 2017. Okay. Uh, my mom Name the band Blacktop Blonde. I love it. And uh, I came. I went to. I met this guy um, who wanted to play rock guitar. He was an older gentleman, and he wanted to start a band. And he really liked my voice. And he said, "I want you to become the lead singer of my band." I said, "Okay." So it started off just me and him. We didn't really know what we were going to do. And my mother knew Carl. Okay. We knew Carl. Carl played bass for my cousin, who is a fantastic vocalist as well. Uh, Emmy Seacrest is her name. And my Carl went on tour with her, and I opened up for the tour. So we already knew Carl. And so my mom was like, I'm going to call Carl and see what he thinks. And so Carl came in as like a music director mm-hmm. kind of guide for me. And then we hired a drummer. We hired a guitar player and another guitar player. And... Um, we then you know we did one show and people just really responded to it totally and so my mom was like you know you should just do your own thing so I did my own thing Mm -hmm. and uh mama I said we need a name and she called it you know my mom said oh uh black top blonde with a q and I was like where'd you come up with this yeah where did she come up with it and I still don't really know what it means (laughs) I love it my mom her explanation was that it was meant to signify like 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 people like two white guys and two black guys in the band like she always wanted it to be like racially diverse i don't know that's funny i you know my mother she's really yep. a firecracker yeah, in all strong the best willed. she's strong willed so i i like the name i think it rolled off the tongue so we went with black top blonde but I, I always, my introduction, I'll say, you know, my name is Serena Joy and this is Blacktop Blonde because I wanted Blacktop Blonde to have its own identity outside of me. Sure. Um, that was always my goal because okay. That's if cool. I was ever doing anything differently or doing, you know, like there are times when I don't front the band, but somebody else comes in and fronts the band. So okay. Blacktop Blonde is still BTB, you know. But they're so, like an individual. Yeah, they're an individual entity. So. You know, so when I get on stage, I say, "This is Serena. My name is Serena Joy, and this is Blacktop Blonde." And then I say, "Or you can call him BTB for short, because BTB just also rolls off the tongue, just like that." Well, it's you know? a pretty cool name. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, Dan, what do you think? I 
think it's fabulous. Uh, <laughs> just chiming in here. That's our yes. uh, that's our wonderful engineer over there. Damn, has so much the knowledge about so much music. Oh my gosh, but yeah. I I love that name too. And when yeah. you started bringing Black Top Blonde, uh, you know, into Acme, yeah. And shout I saw, out to Carl Gaddy. He booked oh, us. There. I loved it. And I gotta tell you, yeah, shout out to Carl. He's so good at what he does. Yeah. Um, if you guys are in Nashville, uh, check out Carl Gaddy. He's awesome. He's awesome. He knows a lot of people. He's a really good dude. He's a good dude. But when you, that's when I noticed that, and the, and again, I'm all just like a bystander in this where I'm just like, see, from seeing you like, I think I remember some of your first shows yeah, at Acme yeah. and I was just like, she is really coming into her own. Wow. And then you're bringing you. your own band in. Yeah. And that was, we were, that was like the, I the first it. time I ever came to Nashville, the first bar I ever went into was Acme. That's cool. And I saw Sam in the Mix and I didn't know Sam in the Mix at the time. I wasn't oh. singing in the band. Carl was introducing me to them. He was playing with them. Okay. And I actually sat in with Sam at Acme multiple times where I would just go up and sing a song with them. I and, remember. You know, I, I was that. forming a relationship with him just as a friend. He was, we yeah. were just getting to know each other. And um, I remember when we started playing in Nashville, the first gig that Blacktop Blonde ever had was at Snitch in Printer's Alley. Oh, okay, yeah. So we booked a Tuesday night. We had a Tuesday night residency there in 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, to circle back around to Sam, this is how interesting relationships work in Nashville. So I was already performing in Nashville prior to bringing Blacktop Blonde there with the BB Kings All-Stars band. I was in that house band. Yep. Still in the Nash, we're the Nashville All-Stars now. I still sing in that band. That's cool. Primarily an R&B soul mm -hmm. um, pop band that was the house band at BB Kings, formerly on 2nd Avenue. And um, I got that. Yeah, R.I.P. 2nd Avenue, gosh, yeah. Ugh. So, so I, um, I got that gig because their guitar player saw me sitting in with Sam in the mix okay. and was like, I think your voice is incredible. We need a female singer. So I was doing like three days a week at BB Kings where I was, you know, just going down there. That's also awesome. a gig that completely transformed my voice, helped me mm -hmm. find myself. And I was doing rock and roll there as well. They were yeah. letting me do, you know, Janis Joplin and That's awesome. the Beatles at BB Kings as well. And so, then I booked the Snitch residency with my band and um, Carl Gaddy came in because Sam and his wife, Lisa McCrary, brought Carl Gaddy in to see me oh, at that's Snitch. Awesome. And they were like, this is our friend Serena. This is her band. And so um, they all these connections that I made that I was just going to see these people play and just getting to know them as people. Those are connections that ended up finding me my first couple of gigs in Nashville and totally. leading, you know, you know, turning into Blacktop Blonde being in Nashville. So I played my first gig at Acme. I don't remember exactly what day it was. I think it was a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. I think I played seven to 11 on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like football season or something because I have this video mm -hmm. of me and I'm wearing a jersey. I mean, Carl is wearing a jersey too. We're all wearing jerseys. So I think it was like oh, the playoffs or something. Probably. And it was a million people in there. Yeah. And I still have the live video. My mom still has it. And so many people came out that night and it was like, the most insane, one of the most insane shows I've ever played at Acme, still to this day, one of my first shows. Yeah, that's and awesome. And it was like, okay, like this is, we hit the ground running. And so from there, we just really worked on 
keeping the show entertaining for people, but also staying true to the fact that like I wanted to do rock and roll music. That was always always a thing. The for you. plan was that we were eventually going to do straight rock and roll. So so that's that is just so crazy to like to see that and to to be on the outside of that yeah. now. So tell me. So you're OK, so this is like I'm kind of jumping ahead, but considering that we're already on this topic. Yeah. So you've traveled a lot. You've done a lot of things. Um, you've toured with some singers. You've done mm-hmm. background singing. Can you just give me an idea of if if there's a difference between now you've played downtown for a long time. What's it like playing downtown in comparison to like touring with someone or yeah. playing other gigs that are not downtown Nashville? So playing downtown Nashville is interesting because it's more so like you hear these guys really describe it as a shift. You mm-hmm. know, you'll hear, you yeah. see that on Facebook. I'm doing a 10 to two shift mm-hmm. at 10 roof or, you know, at, you know, I don't know, Rippies or what have you. And that's really what it is. It's a yeah. shift downtown. Um, you're going in and your ultimate goal besides entertaining people and hopefully having a good time is to make the most amount of money you can, mm. you know, tips tip wise mostly. Yeah. And you know, at Acme, it's a little different because, um, you know, it's not, Acme is not necessarily formulated the same way mm-hmm. that lower Broadway bars are. So, um, Acme was always more fun as mm-hmm. a Broadway gig. It was always to me the most fun I've ever had because it was, it never felt like I was in this like desperate not to say these guys are desperate, but I mean, this is their livelihood. So no, they I, have to pay their bills this way. And a that's lot, the thing is that they yeah. have to, I, I will say that it's true yeah. because like the whole tipping thing is like huge down it's there. Huge. And I feel, I always felt like when you play at Acme, you get more of a chance to just kind of do your thing you do, on stage. You do. Of course you want to make, you always want to make money. You always right. want people to tip you, but it always felt to me at Acme like I was, I was doing a show. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I was pressured to like, you know, do a bunch of requests. And even if I said no to a request at Acme, it was like everybody in there had my back. Like if I said no, like everybody else was like, okay, no, she doesn't want to do it. You You don't want to do it. And so that's kind of the idea of working downtown is it's a lot of working, so to speak, being a downtown musician. Um, That's a good way to put it. You know, it's like, it's more of the business side of it. It is. Maybe more of the like creative side or just like, so when you're out like touring or doing background vocals Mm -hmm. for someone and you're, going to California, yeah. you're, you're going to New York, like, yeah. you know, is it more just like playing a show then? Yeah, well, I mean, because you're supporting someone with their own original music mm-hmm. and you are a part of their story as an artist. Mm-hmm. So versus doing a cover show, you know, you could put, obviously you put your originals in your cover shows and you or you go out and play your originals, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, When you go on tour with an artist, it is still work. You're very much so clocking in, but it's a different kind of work because you're a part of someone's journey. I always sure. say that. Like, the reward for me is not, I mean, yeah, getting paid lots of money to go on tour if you can is anybody's dream. Sure. But being a part someone of someone's story as an artist, being able to be that added thing to their, whatever they're putting out is the difference. It's like you're contributing to something that's like 
being consumed by the public in a way that like cover yeah. shows are not like everybody knows yeah. I can sing Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin. Like I can sing right. that four times a week right. and it could it could be great every single time and people could be moved by it every single time. But it's never going to be the same mm. as putting out an original song mm-hmm. or being on someone's original song or, mm-hmm. or being a part of someone's original music journey because you're literally contributing to their art. You're yeah. putting more art out there. You're allowing yourself to be a part of their superstar story, you know, and it's like that to me is more fun, can be more fun in a way because it's like, wow, this is like it. This is like what you dream of doing. You know, it's like, it's, yeah, I would think that's everybody's ultimate yeah. goal as much as it is to like perform and like yeah. everybody loves performing, you For know, sure. Uh, I had an old voice teacher tell me one time he was like, we love performing in front of people. If not, everybody would just sing in their shower. Yeah, all the time. for sure. It, yeah, it's but yeah, to be a part of that yeah. is a is a totally different level. Absolutely. So that's really cool yeah. to like hear that. Oh, I love playing downtown. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's always a fun time. I I, I don't take gigs that are not fun. I don't like to feel like I'm not having fun. Yeah, because then it's like, what's the point in that yeah. sense too? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's that delicate balance between yeah. finding like work and enjoyment. You know, there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but I think that what we should do is do something fun for a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So you this know, this is that, fun though. That, don't. This is fun. Come on, you're Lisa, right. This is really this is fun. fun. <laughs> we're we're gonna take it up a level. Um, so you know that the amount of times I've seen you, I'm usually on the other side of this thing called a bar. Yeah. Yes. So I wanted to bring you here too. So we, I could like, I know you like tequila. I do love tequila. So would you be okay if I taught you how to make a drink? Let's do it. Okay. All right. They think this will be fun. And I kind of got an idea of what you like. So this is something that you could do at home if you wanted to. Nice. But I just kind of, I want to put you on the spot and see if you would like this. I like it. Okay, good. Let's (laughs) dive in. All right. We'll be right back. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So as we do this, I'm going to mm-hmm. walk you through how to do this oh, really yay. quickly. Okay. So I watch be... a lot of Bar Rescue. So I love it. Okay. So tequila. Yes. You could hand me tequila. Okay. Wonderful. Right. I didn't, I didn't realize I put it so far. That's okay. Across the way. Okay. So this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you your shakers. Okay. Oh, I have to shake something. Yes. It's going to be great. Okay. Okay. So. What I'm going to ask you to do, yeah. put my mic here. All right. Actually, large shaker, please, madam. Okay. I'm going to drop a few of these raspberries in here. There you go. Okay. And I love that you're like building it for me. You're like, you know, I'm going to show you what to do, but you can't be trusted. But, you can't, <laughs> but here you go. Oh, okay, I know what this is. Yes. This is for muddling. This is for muddling. So ah. we have in front of us some raspberries that we are going to muddle very yeah. gently. So okay. what I like doing is, because I'm a weirdo, I like muddling with a juice because I okay. think it's really nice. So we're going to take, I'm going to take one of these uh, limes and squeeze it in. Okay. And then you grab one. And so we'll just squeeze it in the tin. Okay. Okay, and then you can you app throw that anywhere, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I would never do that. <laughs> and then you're gonna take the muddler and just muddle gently. Muddle we don't gently. have to mash the fruits. Okay. Because these are gonna fall apart easily, just a few times. Okay. 
So okay. not, not too hard. Yes. So don't take my anger out on this. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now what we're going to do is build it with the liquor first. Okay. So we're going to do, because I like mine pretty boozy. So we're yeah. going to do an ounce and a half of tequila. Shout out to the show I have to do in four hours. Ah! It's going to be great. There you yeah. go. You pour that in yours. Okay. Heck yeah. Okay, turn that baby over, that jigger. Okay. Turn it over, and then you hand it back to me. Okay. Now, you're going to pour this into yours. Okay, and you can set that down at will. Okay. And now, I made some homemade simple syrup, which is not hard. Whoa. Yeah, it's just a one-to-one -one ratio of okay. sugar to water, but if you want to make I tried like, that once, and it did not go well in my house. <laughs> we can go over it again. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do like three quarters. Because a little bit of lime juice goes a long way, yeah. and like we don't have like sour mix here, so... So my older sister is a bartender. She's been bartending for 16 years. Oh, seriously? Well, how long has Yentl been bartending now? Oh Shout out to Yentl. I don't know how long she's been bartending actually at this point because I've lost count of the years. But Holy shit, so she that's would awesome. be so proud of me right now. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just that like, all right, it's, it's fresh. So we can you can do one of two things. You could like here you go. You can okay. change that line. You can like get like a, a juice squeezer mm -hmm. and like squeeze that and get like really good like yeah. forearm muscles. Yeah, I actually do have like a juice. Okay, so that's not that hard. Or, you know, I forgot to bring mine up, so this will work just fine. Okay. And then you squeeze another one. Oh, okay. Sorry, we're making it real messy for you. Uh, it's, I know. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> and then we're going to take um, some ice. And my hands are clean other than the limes. Yeah, for all you germaphobes out there. Right. Here we go. Just put it in, and then you get another one. Okay, so take this top. Okay. Put it in there. All right. Okay. Now we're going to shake it uh, at least 10 or 15 times. Ready? Okay. <laughs> this is like an episode of Bar Rescue. I love it. Yes. All right. Okay, so this is a tricky part. Don't you have to like... Yes. That should work out pretty well. You did it! I know. Did Sometimes you... Do you like that I already knew that you had to hit the side? No, I love it, because sometimes the tins get stuck because they're warped or whatever, yeah. and I'm at the bar, and I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not a newbie. <laughs> and I'm like, it doesn't matter anyways. Okay, so the good thing, oh, do you want sugar on your cocktail? Um, sure. Okay, so I have a red oh. sugar rimmer. So what I will do is just take one of those limes. It could be an old one, it could be a new one. Okay. Old one, because I'm yes. conscious of waste. And just rim it in here so we get a nice little look. Okay. Damn, we probably should get a picture of these afterwards. They look pretty good. Yep, just roll it. There you go. You're like a pro. Listen, don't tell me that. <laughs> don't tell me that. All right, and then we're just going to pour it right in. So with margaritas, oh, okay. you don't even ever need to, like... Ooh, that is pretty. That is pretty. So because, I mean, there's extra going on here, but I, I like feel it, really good about this. Now, hopefully it's boozy, but not so boozy that we're not going to be able to drink it. Okay. So I think what we can do is 
take a sip first. Kay. Oh wait, cheers! Thanks for coming. Oh on the show. yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hell yeah! All right. That is good stuff. This is good. Oh, I love that. Probably have some uh, red sugar on my lips, but I don't care. I love that. Oh, this is like my mom's thing. She would love this. This is going to be a lot better with a straw. Yeah. Because of the the raspberry. But that, that is kind of a nice touch, though. No, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Babe, you want to take a drink of this? Take a swig? No, I got important things to do with these buttons. <laughs> but thank you. You're Dan's welcome. Like, I can't, Dan's like, I can't be drunk. I have to press all the buttons. Right. Okay, so I'm going to make sure there's nothing, no sugar on me. Is there any sugar on me? I think you're fine. I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. So... All right, let me pull this back up. That is so yummy. It is yummy. And you can do whatever you want. You can put another lime in it. You can do whatever. Yeah. Add, drink it as you like to go. Look at these. First of all, these cups are really big. I didn't realize how some, big they these were. These are some large cups, but I... So Stephen from Patron gave these to me as a gift. Wow. And I didn't realize. I, I keep forgetting how large they are. So here we are. All right, so tequila. Okay, so now that we have our drinks, now that you've made this drink. Yes. See, and what you can do for next time is like, I could totally nerd out on this and I'm totally not even going to, but you can make it like a raspberry simple mm. and then you don't have to deal with all the little stuff. The muddled raspberry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I kind of dig it. So I like it. I know it's fresh. Now, coming back mm -hmm. into talking about Blacktop Blonde and like yeah. you wanting to do rock, see, that opens up a whole other long, like large amount of questions that I have, mm -hmm. but I'm going to try to keep them concise okay. for everything. But um, how do you feel it's been being like a female rock singer, let alone a black female rock singer? Well, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah, it's been fucking wild. If I could just, yeah, it's 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 been a lot because um, at every point in my music career as a black artist, I have faced racism at every single turn. There is there hasn't been one part of my career where I have ex not experienced some form, whether it's micro you know, or, or major in your face racism and yeah. choosing to do a genre that very few black people have been able to occupy space in over time is a bold choice. I mean, you know, my Which mom, yeah, no, kind of yeah. ridiculous it's, considering where rock yeah. comes from in the first place. I know the root of all music, and this is going to be a bold statement that people will probably not like, but the root of all, if not most is gospel. Mm -hmm. Gospel music, slave music, is mm -hmm. the root of so much music. Yeah, if not all music, totally. And um, I know there will be some assholes that will be like, "That isn't true." That's fine. Yeah, argue with your mom. Um, right. <laughs> I <laughs> argue with your mom. Argue with your mom. Um, but you know, rock and roll singers. So if you look at you know, Steve, I actually made a joke on stage last night about how I was told at one point to sing something less churchy. Um, I was doing an audition and I sang like Somewhere Over the Rainbow and the guy was like, yeah, I like your voice, but can you sing something less churchy? Which 
in case you're wondering, mm-hmm. a white person telling a black person to sing something less churchy is kind of racist. Yeah. <laughs> just want to put that out it's there. Just, it just has like... It's giving very micro-aggressive. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. one of those things where it just comes out wrong to say. Yeah. So you're like, even if you're, even if you're a dumbass and you're not fully <laughs> aware of it, you're like, does that give you... Good vibes or heebie-jeebie vibes? Like, just think before Why you speak. Why would you say that? Yeah, so I ended up singing Love and Touch and Squeezing by Journey, which was the first Journey song I ever heard. Oh, awesome. And uh, it's still in my set to this day, Love and Touch and Squeezing. And I was talking about it. I had just sang it last night, and I was telling the crowd the story about that. And one of the guys in the crowd said, that's so funny because... Love and Touch and Squeezing sounds like a church song. And it does. It's, it's got yeah. gospel piano. The mm-hmm. intro of that song is just like really blue. It's actually a kind of a blues song. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's really Steve Perry singing blues. Yeah, And Steve Perry as one of, is hands down one of the greatest rock frontmen of all time. His voice is... I think we agree with that, right, Dan? Yeah, I mean... Absolutely. <laughs> I don't, I mean, when you look at a male rock front man Steve Perry's gonna come to the front of your mind right away because his voice was insane the Mm -hmm. things he could do with his voice heavily influenced by gospel Mm -hmm. the way he's singing if you even want to take it a step further we all know the story of Elvis Mm -hmm. we all know that Elvis went to black churches and sat in the back and listened to them sing and listened to them play and that was heavily you know that heavily influenced his style I mean and his Obviously, we know the story of Hound Dog. We know yep. that it was traditionally a song done by um, Big Mama Thornton, mm-hmm. and he took it and it was a number one hit. You know, and it and happened a lot with Elvis, and <laughs> happened a lot with a lot of mm-hmm. white artists back yeah. in the day. Um, you know, and so back to you know, just to say, like the root of rock music is gospel. So my roots are gospel. I grew up mm-hmm. singing in church. So you would think it wouldn't be a hard transition for people to accept. A right. black woman with right. a very soulful voice singing rock and roll. Absolutely. And yet. <laughs> yet. Here we are. And yet. Um, there has only ever been one rock and roll black female superstar. And that was the late Tina Turner. And even even she was told that she would not sell records I'm as a rock singer. I'm like talking about this right now. I love and Tina like, Turner. And like, you know, which God, God rest her soul. That was a hard loss for me because she was the epitome of everything I'm trying to do. I mean, a lot of people I've seen a lot of people post about Tina Turner and her survival, you know, in life, you know, she survived so much trauma, so much abuse, so much ridiculous. Like, you know, she lived a horrible life. She said herself, I lived a horrible life, Mm -hmm. horrible, Mm -hmm. you know, but the story that people need to focus on in the HBO documentary that's out of her is one of the best things to ever watch on her because it really talks about her transition into doing rock and roll and her manager at the time there's a scene where it's like a recording of him saying that or maybe it was her I can't quite remember it's been a while since I watched it but he or she is saying that like the radio jockey was like no one's gonna nobody wants to hear a 43 year old I'm going to say black woman on camera, but that's not the word he used. Sing rock and roll. Nobody wants to hear that. He told her manager, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hear that. And um, it is like when I saw that scene in the documentary, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Yeah. But I was just kind of like, 
that is just so ridiculous because because why what is the what is the reason you know yeah. why is it so hard to see and and what i face when performing you know i do a i play at bowie's every thursday mm-hmm. black top blonde we play we've been there for a year mm-hmm. and we do strictly rock and roll i do strictly arena rock mm-hmm. aerosmith foreigner def leppard love it and most thursdays people are just overjoyed yeah. to see anyone covering this music yeah and singing it well mm-hmm. in a rock club it's like and especially people that are older in their like 40s and 50s it's mm-hmm. like they're reliving their past mm-hmm. and 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 they enjoy seeing me somebody that's 25 30 years younger than them yeah you're enjoying it too doing i'm enjoying it and yeah. and i'm trying to do right by the music do yeah. it justice and so most of the time it's great but a lot of the time I get somebody that will walk right up to the stage and say can you sing Aretha Franklin (laughs) and it's like I love Aretha Franklin right also a rock and roller in her own right Mm -hmm. but it's not what you're doing for the night why do you you know and and one day I said this on the microphone because I mean like my mom will tell you I don't give a fuck I would say Mm -hmm. anything on the mic my our mutual friend Ping Rose He's his joke is that like he'll say stuff. He's like, but you really you really go for it. (laughs) And I do because I and people love that about you. Listen, if I can't keep it real Mm -hmm. during my own set, like I don't have a chance in this industry. Yeah, 100 percent. And we've seen so many artists be stifled and I'm just not going to I'm not going to do that. If you can either like me for who I am on stage or you don't have to listen to me. That's really it's your choice. But I've told somebody once I, I said, why would you come up to me and ask for you know, Aretha Franklin and I've, I've been doing rock and roll for the last hour. Like why? Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, I just think your voice would be, you know? And I said, I mean, and I said to him, I said, I understand that, but why does it not click to you that like, I'm doing a very specific thing right now? Right. Like, why don't you like what I'm doing? And they were like, no, I like what you're doing. And I'm like, but you're, you don't like what I'm doing because you're still trying, you, I said, if you think about it, you've been listening to me sing Steve Perry. You've been listening to me sing Joe Elliott Mm -hmm. and all these major rock artists, all these rock artists that are influenced by people like Aretha Franklin and Mm -hmm. B.B. King and James Brown. You already know I can sing that stuff. Right. So asking me to do Aretha Franklin is really only just satisfying the part of your body that wants to see a black girl singing black music. Yeah. And that I just will not tolerate that because that to me is just ignorance at its finest like well any i just yeah. i can't i don't care for that and mm-hmm. i've struggled with that in my career I, from from both sides of the spectrum yeah. i have had black people walk up to me and tell me you sing too many white people songs <laughs> so it's like you got at yeah. the end of the day you kind of got to make yourself happy with it my mom's going to be like oh my no, <laughs> no, this is, but this is what I need to touch on with you because yeah. I think it's so important because we've talked about this before is that rock and roll is predominantly male industry. Oh my gosh. So when Most I, genres are male you're industry. Right. So, I mean, maybe not pop, maybe, I don't know, but half, I, who I knows? Mean, yeah, no, but yeah. But even so, like when I was playing in a band, like I, I had, I knew I dealt with that on a more, you know, obvious basis. So it's like, that was always in the back of my mind. So giving that extra layer 
um, giving it also where we are in Nashville, where it's like so many genres and everything are like kind of like conversing and like bleeding onto each other, you know, and people are getting creative and doing their own thing. So it's, it's almost like there's no room for that. People want to put you into a box. They 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 always do. do. Like they want to be able to understand so they can compartmentalize it because it's not just enough for them to see what's in front of them absolutely because if they go and try to tell the story to someone else like it's going to come out with this whole like weird thing and that's the whole point of being an artist absolutely going past genres going past what other people think of you because any any artist can take from any genre Mm -hmm. i mean how many times and 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 right now we're in a renaissance of pop artists that are are going back and grabbing sounds and vibes from like the eighties, like Mm -hmm. the biggest uh, person that really has done a masterful job at this is Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Miley. She's from Columbia too. Is she really? Yep. She's a Mary County girl. Her Haley Williams has lived in Spring Hill. Also, she was Mary County. She went to school in Spring Hill. She's from Mississippi, but that is so funny. But Miley, um, you know, I've, I, I love Miley Cyrus. I, yeah. I will be the first to tell you there is no one that respects music more than Miley Cyrus. Yeah. And I'll know I'll get I'll get flack for saying this because, you know, yeah, she had her moment where she like was finding herself and doing, you know, hip hop and like kind of experimenting. But like ultimately she ended up right where she belonged, which is doing yeah. like rock and roll, mm-hmm. kind of like 80s nostalgia, mm-hmm. you know, pop sounding, you know, and it's really cool how much respect she has for that sound you know doing like collabs with stevie nicks i mean Mm -hmm. like and and combining their songs together and like understanding that her voice fits that style and being able to have number one records i mean flowers is not a song that fits the pop mold in the slightest it's not yeah really like your traditional 2000s pop song that like kids would like right. latch on to but she's done this kind of like ninja like she's made it work <laughs> mind fuck mm-hmm. where she's like I'm gonna do this sound is so like old school but I'm gonna bring you back and we're gonna get it we're gonna get people back involved in this kind of music and like that is so cool to me because it's like people need to know that like rock and roll is not dead and you mm-hmm. can still do it you can still be famous you can still yep. be a big top selling artist and um, for me, you know, as a black, I as a black rock singer, I know I'm going. I have accepted that it is going to be very hard to convince people. To one of the reasons I've struggled with original music for so long is just because it took me so long to just like say, "Oh, I'm going to do rock and roll." Yeah, and also to convince people that it'll work. Yeah, it has taken me this long to convince. Every at every turn when mm-hmm. I've worked on original music, I've had a producer say, "That's not going to work." Mm-hmm. you should do this instead right why don't you just do r&b mm-hmm. it'll be so much easier it's like i don't want to do the thing that's easier i want to yeah. do the thing that i love you want to do the thing that you love i could sell no albums i could sell no eps no one could download anything and that's fine but right. like i'm i'm going to do what i want to do with with my voice and with my vocals so no and, you know, I, and that's so. and i appreciate the honesty in that and there's that is what i'm trying to do with getting this podcast like I'm trying to like give people like a platform where they can showcase that oh yeah you know because some of the people that you know I have on here like some people are going to know 
who they are just by name, or some of them are going to know them by face. And some people I'm just like, maybe you don't know either one by face or name, but you should know them. Yeah. And that's kind of what it needs to be. There's so much, uh, there's so much good talent here, like beyond ridiculousness. And I love when people, for me, like the whole, like rock is, rock is, you know, sexy and Mm -hmm. and raw and rebellious and rough. It's, it's all the things that is the most rock and roll thing you could do Yeah, is like just, you know, being the person that's like, I'm not who you think I am. Yeah. That is rock. Yeah. You know? Well, I've had a lot of time in my life to like <laughs> accept myself as like an aggressive person. Like mm-hmm. that's a word that's like heavily been applied to like black women all over the world. It's just something that it's like they, it's they a label, see, man. Yeah. You know, we because we are often very outspoken. We are mm-hmm. often you know, well, sometimes, sometimes if you're not, who the fuck's listening to you? Yeah. I mean, and that's something that I've had a conversation with people who are just like, well, why do you feel like you need to? And I'm like, because man, every time in my life when I was quiet or polite, no one listened. I, nobody gave a damn about no what I had to say. To I did so many sessions as a child and I recently went to therapy about this in 2020 because we couldn't figure out why it was so hard for me to record music. Mm-hmm. I was in the, at the point where I was going into studios having like anxiety attacks. I couldn't figure out why. And I talked to a therapist and she was like, I think you have post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I think you went through some things as a child that you forgot about. Mm -hmm. And being in a studio triggers that. And I realized that, like, she's not wrong. And while a lot of these producers helped me and guided me in a lot of ways, they also kind of hurt me in in some ways, too. I mean, I was spending hours and I love my mom and I love these people that offered their help to guide me and, and mold me as an artist. But. There were times where I just wanted everybody in the room to listen to me mm-hmm. and I did not feel heard and I did not feel like no, I felt like no one cared like, oh, she doesn't want to sing for eight hours today. It was like, oh, well, you need to do it. And and, and I felt a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to, to do it because they were offering, my, you know, they're offering this for free, you know, right. how much money this would cost for other people mm-hmm. to record. And so I would do it and it was like kind of traumatizing me you know Mm -hmm. and and I've had compliments in sessions of oh my god you're so accurate you're so tight and I'm like thanks I only had to suffer nine hours as a 13 year old in a studio to get this good (laughs) and and I'm I've I'm 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 healing now I'm learning to let it go and learning to move forward in my career but so much of what held me back was just feeling unheard. And so I think what attracts me to rock and roll is that it literally is a genre where it's loud, it's raucous. Mm-hmm. People have to listen to you. They have no choice. Yeah. They have no choice. You can't you you can't really ignore rock music. No. Like when you're at a rock concert, like your senses are overloaded because yes. it's rock and roll. Yeah. You have to hear what these people are singing or saying or playing. And that is what attracts me to that style. It's yeah. like you get your own voice. You get your own voice. And mm-hmm. and and I have been looking for my voice for a very long time and I finally feel like this is like you know, and the more I've been playing straight rock shows, the more settled I feel as like a vocalist. And it's kind of funny because like I play like um, I play in a jazz band like Mondays and Tuesdays. <laughs> 
Like hey, every it's week. nice. It's like a different. Like, and I'm little like wearing setup. like a cocktail dress yeah. and like you know and like heels and I'm like singing like Anita Baker, oh and and like Anita people Baker. and people are like Dan loves Anita Baker. I love Anita Baker. <laughs> I. Love Anita. One of the first songs I ever performed was Sweet Love. That was oh, one of the first songs I ever did awesome. when I was like 14. And so I'll do that stuff. And I, I like that stuff, mm-hmm. too. And then I'll meet people and they'll say, where can I go see, come see you? And I'll say, oh, I play at Bowie's on Thursdays. And they'll come down to Bowie's and they're like, is this the same girl? And it's like, and it, but they're, they're like, you look so much more. Like, you like yourself you seem so much more like yourself here mm-hmm. and i'm like because this is the music that i love and this yeah. is the music that that really moves me yeah like really internally makes me feel good inside and so you know that is I, so good to yeah, hear i i I've, i will i am of the belief that there will always be obstacles as as you know, women in the industry and as a black woman in the industry doing a genre that they just don't you don't I mean Tina Turner was my only reference reference. for sure Uh, you know and so it's gonna be hard Mm -hmm. and I know that which is why you know I want to do it. I'm kind yeah. of like wired that way. Yeah. You're, you know? you're, you're kind of, you're not going to back down from it. Like you're like, yeah. it's almost like a challenge. You're like, okay, bet. Yeah. Yeah. Watch. Watch well, and this. it's been hard for any woman in rock. It was hard yeah. for Joan Jett. It was hard mm-hmm. for Stevie Nicks. It mm-hmm. was hard for Anne and Nancy Wilson. Every yep. major female rock artist has struggled to put it. It's Melissa Etheridge. It's, yep. it's been hard for all of them. And that's why the list is so small yeah. because it is so hard to be taken serious doing a doing something on stage that traditionally men are and that's what people see yeah mm-hmm. men are men are in men in rock is normal yep. see a, to see a, a female rocker go up there and keep up whether it's playing a guitar a lead you don't see a lot of female lead guitarists mm-hmm. for that very reason because mm-hmm. it's like a lot of people don't want to take them serious. A lot of people don't want to see them. They're uncomfortable with it. It doesn't make sense to them. And it's the thing that people are talking now about, like, representation. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, when I was younger and I started first getting into, like, bands and music, like, Amy Lee was the first person oh, that yeah, came out. Oh, yeah, Amy Lee. So When I was that age, yeah. you know? And I was just like, I I didn't, I, like, Guns N' Roses was my first mu- music musical influence that was my first rock exposure I had to learn everything after that like everything that came before I had no knowledge of so like that was you know she and her band that was like a a learning moment for me I had to learn like I grew up in the the Nirvana like Marilyn Manson like Pearl Jam was a little bit before me but like still that was I grew up in the 90s like into the 2000s but I didn't know anything really before then so I had to kind of learn everything and I didn't see I didn't know anything about Hart or Pat I mean Pat Benatar people throw around you know still she's a fantastic and people still don't feel like she's a rock girl like there are people that feel like she's too pop yeah, I've had this argument with people on stage right. about Pat Benatar, and I'm like, <laughs> on stage, of course. And I'm like, Pat, have you great. ever seen this? Have you ever seen a video of his lady singing? Right. She is a fucking rock star. Like right. her voice, so gritty, so mm-hmm. powerful. Like but, whatever. But it's people like, are stupid. People are stupid. <laughs> and that's Just, the thing is, that, like, it comes back to that. And this is like a good time for us to turn to talking. Um, so you were on American Idol. I was four yeah. times, four fucking times, four times, four times. The first year I was on American That's Idol incredible. was season 10. 
Okay. Uh, Scotty McCreary won that year. Okay. I, uh, I vaguely remember this. That was when American Idol came to Nashville the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, well, the first time in a long time. They hadn't been back in a few seasons. And I auditioned. That's right. When they were taking the break and X Factor, I think was. X Factor kind of came into the picture. Yeah, for a little bit. Uh, but the big story that year was that they changed all the judges. Season 10 was the first year where there was no Paula, Simon, or Randy. Okay. And um, they had switched all the judges. It was Keith Urban, Jennifer Lopez, and Steven Tyler. Ha, huh, interesting. Um, and so what happened was my mother and I decided to audition because I had a teacher that taught social studies. Uh, I was in the ninth My grade, yeah, the ninth grade. And um, he ended up leaving his position, but he loved my voice. And he said, whenever you're old enough, because at the time you had to be 16 to audition for American right. Idol. He said, whenever you're old enough, I was 14 when he told me this. He said, I want you to audition for American Idol. This is one thing I want you to do. I know you don't, I'm not really a competitive person. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like to, com- I don't like to compete against any person, singer or otherwise. Cause I'm sure my biggest threat to myself. Mm-hmm. That's just how I feel. So, um, he told me to audition. I said, okay, you know, I'll do it. You know, when I turn 16, well then American Idol changed the age to 15, which I, now I think 15 is a little too young to be yeah. on a TV show but at the but time at the time you're like yes I have an opportunity yeah. my mom said do you want to do this and I said sure so we went downtown we auditioned at Bridgestone that was where the cattle call audition was um, and uh, that was actually the audition where the gentleman told me that I need to sing something less churchy was that first year of American Idol oh shit and I um, I did the you know, I got, I made it through and we didn't think I was going to make it. Not mm-hmm. at all. Me and my mom were very honest with each other about that. We did not think right. I was going to go through. And so I ended up going all the way to the top 100 contestants that year. Okay. I met some of the most incredible people that are, I'm still friends with to this day. That's cool. Um, almost like family to me. We visit each other. Um, and um, then I was like, okay, cool. I did American Idol. I'm in high school though, so I need to like focus on high school or what have mm-hmm. you. And the following year was season 11, which was Phil Phillips' season. I set that year out, mm-hmm. and my very good friend um, DeAndre Brackensick, he goes by Dre Scott now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he went on that season. He made like the top eight. Nice. And we stayed in touch, and he was just you know we're still like he is like my brother, like we are family. And he was like, you know, you should go back. You should go back again. So I went back when I was 17, season 12. And uh, that was the year Mariah Carey, Nicki Minaj, Keith Urban was a judge. And uh, oh, and I misspoke earlier. The first season that I went on, it was Randy. um, It was Randy Jackson, Jennifer Lopez and uh, Steven Tyler. Keith Urban wasn't on the show yet. He came on season 12. So it was him, Nicki Minaj, Mariah Carey and Randy Jackson. And um, I took myself way too serious on that season. I was like, I have to make it. I have to go to the top 10. And it was just like, the thing is, TV shows are TV shows. Mm -hmm. And my mom knew that and she had caught on to that and I had not. So I made it to the top 60 that year. Um, A very good friend and one of very few black female singers to win American Idol, Candace Glover, she won that season. I, I... was very fortunate to back her up on some things she did after the show. I played the Staples Center with her. Well, it's the Bitcoin arena now, whatever it's called, but it was Staples Center, which is a huge stage. She took, she allowed me to do that with her and gave me that opportunity. That's awesome. And, um, 
And then I was like done. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to do it again. Well, then my mom was like, let's just do it one more time. <laughs> like you're 18. You can go like I, I won't be there with you every step of the way. I'll, I'll come to Hollywood week or what have you if you make it. So we went back and uh, they changed the judges again. And it was Jennifer Lopez again. She came back. And that was kind of the deciding factor for me because she had been so kind to me mm. when I was 15. So I went back. And that year, I kind of just really leaned into the rock thing. Mm. I, I like changed my hair. I did like fringe, a lot of leather. We were just kind of like, cool. Like this was like the beginning of me like starting to know that I wanted to do rock and roll. Sure. And I did. I did okay. I did like I made the top forty, and uh, that was the closest I had ever gone to like, or the closest I'd ever gotten to being on the live show. And then, um, <laughs> we were at home one day and. Um, now, like back then you couldn't talk about this, but like now they do this all the time. They cast for these shows. They'll send, they'll look you up on YouTube or look you, if you have a lot of social media followers, followers, a producer will reach out and say, we want you to audition or blah, blah, uh -huh. blah, blah, blah. Back then that wasn't, they didn't talk about it, but now oh. the voice does it. America's Got Talent does it. They all do it. Right. And so, um, they reached, um, a familiar producer from American Idol that I, that they, I knew her. You know, I had spoken to her extensively. She reached out and was like, we're coming back to Nashville. We really want you to audition for a fourth time. We yeah. really do. And I was kind of on the fence because I was just like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this mentally again. Mm. And they were like, no, like, it's going to be fine. Like, we just we think you're so talented. So I went back. And uh, it's a nice gesture. Yeah, you know? for sure. And there are a lot of people that work on American Idol that are fantastic human beings that I'm Facebook friends with to this day that are awesome and took care of the contestants the best they could. Um, so I made the top 12 season 14, which is, was the, was the last season I did on the show. And so that was kind of like, okay, cool. I can finally say I made the top 12 people in the country. Mm. And I was able to go back to, for the finale and perform. I got to perform with Nile Rodgers and Chic, and meet awesome. a whole bunch of cool people. Like the Jacksons were there, oh, yeah, and cool. um, you know Michael McDonald came back for that finale, and Jamie Foxx was there, and oh, we got to awesome. meet meet a lot of cool people. And um, Fall Out Boy was actually there that finale too, oh, so that God. was really cool. They were very nice, and um, so all that was cool. It led to me opening up for. The Idol tour, they took the top five on tour and they, I opened up for them in, at the Ryman. So I got to play a 30 minute set at the Ryman. That is awesome. Um, love and that I was venue. like, I love the I Ryman. was like 20. I mean, mm -hmm. like, those are opportunities you cannot even yeah. pay for at that age with little to no experience, no original music, no anything. And I, so I'm eternally grateful to American Idol for that mm -hmm. um, because that exposure, you know, if you get it, and you're ready for it, you can really catapult yourself. Sure. But not everybody is in a position to do that. Right. And I think that's the part of American Idol that I get frustrated with is that yeah. a lot of it is television first, talent second, mm -hmm. or contestant second. So a lot of people fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but American Idol's fan base is heavily rooted in like, country music mm -hmm. like the people that vote for these shows love country singers and they love male white singers that play guitars mm -hmm. they don't they don't i mean in american idols in it's like 21st season now yeah and in 20 something years only like eight black girls have won 
Yeah, and I think only crazy. like 10 black people have won. Right. Like that's barely even half. Like, and I think it recently the number went up a little bit, but it's like, it's, you know, I mean, I, I, I will say that I was one of these people when American Idol came out, I was like, there's no way this is going to stay around. There's no way. I can't believe it's still here. And I, I mean, I'm kind of like that with all reality TV. I was like, there's no way someone's going to watch this forever. But because, but that's the, that's the thing is that like, because it is a television show, like they're in for ratings too. They are and a hundred percent in for it for the ratings. People get used to a certain yeah. extent, you know, and yeah. not saying everybody has that experience, but no. And, and I know people that their time on American Idol they speak fondly of it, and that's okay. But it is unfortunately, you will find more people yeah. that have this story than those that don't. Right, and you know it is what it is, right? Like I, I enjoyed the people I met on the show, and I had a good time on the show. But I also had not a good time on the show in a lot of ways. There's a lot of yeah. mental distraction. There's a lot of puppeteering that's happening behind the scenes to create television mm -hmm. and these are people that are putting everything on the line to sing mm -hmm. like a lot of these kids and a lot of the and even these adults are putting their lives on hold to yep. compete on the show that they think is going to change their lives mm -hmm. and back when kelly clarkson and jennifer hudson and fantasia and ruben stuttered and carrie underwood were on very the show early days very early american it idol. did change their lives and american right. idol stuck behind those people the labels and the management that they have they put time and effort because essentially the idea was you're taking someone off the street and turning them into a superstar right yeah but now they don't care about that because right. it's like now in the age of social media and tiktok and instagram everybody can you have should their own already thing. be a superstar we just want you to already be a superstar and then we'll put you on tv right and then after that you yeah it's up to you. And it's, it's like, you, it's you're on your own. And, and like, we know that, right? Like, mm -hmm. like you and I understand that we live in music city. We, we know what it's like, yep. but some of these people are going, they're hoping American Idol is going to do that for them. That's right. the point of them. They, they're living in little small towns where they wouldn't have the resources. So to me, there's a certain responsibility American Idol has after the show is over to do everything they can to continue to do what they did for Kelly Clarkson and do yeah. what they did for Carrie Underwood back in the day. Yeah, times have changed, but the, the industry has not. Right. Not not that much. Right. The only thing that's changed with the music industry is social media. Yeah. And so there's a lack of A&R. There's a lack of artist development mm -hmm. because they feel like they can get on TikTok and see somebody that's got 50 million followers and, oh, they can sing. Let's just throw them out there and they'll yep. make the money for us. Exactly. It's it's like a package deal at some point. But yeah. this time the packaging isn't coming from American Idol. It's coming from the You have to already have himself. your package ready to go yeah. before you even go on there. So you see a lot of artists. You know, I know a lot of artists that have record labels that do America's Got Talent and The Voice mm -hmm. uh, because the label is failing them. Yeah. So the label suggests going on a TV show so that they don't have to do the work. So then when they're on there, they can just get more exposure and then do the label's job. Yeah. I, I, and, that's and, that, and that, you know, that's not always the case, but at times that has been the case. I mm -hmm. think for, you know, some people that I've seen on the show, you know, and you find out, oh, they're signed to blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, and it works out for them, yeah. but it's also like, when did we stop caring about like investing in the artist f from top to bottom? Like, right. Let's put all of our money into it. If you really believe in a singer, you should be throwing your entire weight behind them.
like, what is your proudest achievement? Mm. Huh. My proudest <laughs> achievement. That's oh, okay. Let me think. You know, this would make a really good blended drink. I know. I think I'm thinking I got to put this in a blender next time. Yeah, like a like a, f- mm-hmm, frozen, like a frozen situation. The yeah. frozen one. Yeah, so much better. I think my proudest achievement thus far is, um, fronting a band as mm-hmm. long as I have in Nashville as a black female front person. Hell yeah, there are very few of us. Uh, Mm -hmm. downtown or really in Nashville at all Mm -hmm. fronting their own project whether it's a cover project or original project and getting gigs and playing out and so I had a lot of people that did not think I could do that and still do it and there have been a lot of days Mm -hmm. that I wanted to quit doing it because it was too hard I'm glad you didn't yeah so that's my blacktop blonde is my proudest achievement because it is my baby me it's me and my mom's baby really and we have absolutely been through you know I went from paying paying them out of my pocket every show to to being able to book gigs where we got you know compensated fairly and I was able to actually make money and sing in my own band you know and I still enjoy singing with other bands but there's really nothing like doing your own project totally whether it's cover or original and that is that's probably a big the biggest thing the thing that I'm most proud of you know and and then right behind that would be right behind that would just be like it would it would be just like pursuing background singing as mm-hmm. like a career because I think there's this myth that if you sing background you can't be a front person anymore. You can't do your own so stuff. So many fucking myths, man. There, it's just weird. Off. It's so weird. And mm-hmm. and and you know, I've been blessed to back up some incredible artists like my friend Candace Glover and the artist that I tour with Wynn Starks is amazing. Amazing mm-hmm. vocalist, incredible singer, just Oh my God, just one of the best voices I've ever heard. And, and awesome. he has just been a joy to work with and his team is a joy to work with. One of the few artists that I've ever worked with with a team that everybody on the team was just super duper duper nice and oh. super genuine. Really, really loved, you know, really loves him, loves the people around him. So I've been very blessed. So that's like the second achievement behind having my own band is just like having the courage to like, take these other jobs and like turn them into big moments for myself. I mean, I got to play the Troubadour with Wynn. That's you know, awesome. we opened for Delta Ray, an incredible band, by the way. Right. We love them. They're so cool. And I got to, and they invited me on stage to do The Chain yeah. by Fleetwood Mac because I'm a huge Fleetwood Mac That's fan. That's awesome. That's you know, incredible. And, and I got to sing The Chain at the Troubadour. Like, <laughs> You're like, like that's hell? like I like and when it was happening, I kind of like wasn't even conscious that it was happening. I was just mm-hmm. like, la, la, la. You know, I was just like having a blast or whatever. And then like a week later, I was like, oh, my God, I sang at the Troubadour. Yeah. And it just you know? kind of sits in with you. I think that's just such a cool opportunity you got to do. And I I'm just really glad that you're out there doing it. Like it's it's very inspirational to me. And you give me good music to listen to yeah. and good shows. And they're fun. And I appreciate that. And. I really appreciate you coming on this show today to talk about it. Like this has been such an incredible honor. I feel like I've gotten an opportunity to yeah. like get to know you more. Yeah, for despite, sure. Like, and like I said, it was always like kind of like knowing you 
enough but then knowing you on stage and seeing you like kind of grow into that and then I was like that's what one of the reasons I was so excited to do this show I was like I really get to like kind of pick her brain yeah and kind of like figure out what's important to you and I just want you to tell people like where can they listen to your music and what gigs do you have coming up something that you want people to know about so we're working on a um, original EP this year. Me and uh, my boyfriend Matt. Shout out to Matt. Matt, Matt's great. Uh, Matt's great. He's uh, he's often plays lead guitar for me as well. And so this is the year that we really sat down and decided to really lean into the rock project. So we're working on that currently. That should be hopefully is going to come out by the end of the year. Awesome. And then um, I often am on the road with Wynn Starks. Okay. Uh, who is an incredible artist. Um, he's from Minneapolis, but he records. He lives here in Nashville. So I nice. he's working on a second record and there's I think there's talk of me being a part of that. We're still figuring that out. Awesome. But I tour with him. We will be at Pride uh, in Nashville Hell performing yes. on June 24th. So that's okay. cool. And then as far as Blacktop Blonde, um, we're every Thursday at Bowie's from 5 to 8.30. We do um, just a three-hour set, Arena Rock. It's cover stuff, but you know that's the best time to see no. really what I'm trying to do. And Bowie's is such a cool like, and rock And Bowie's club. is, and you know, for anyone that's looking for a place to go that's a rock and roll bar is, is Bowie's. It's a really cool club. And um, we're going to check that out, right, Dan? Yeah. Go Absolutely. to Bowie's, please. It's on 3rd Avenue. It's right towards, like like you're going up to the Capitol. It's it's uh, right around the corner from Printer's Alley. So please go to Bowie's yes. on 3rd Avenue. Very cool club. And uh, cool yep. owners, Love Michelle, really dope person to work with. I've, so I've loved it every time I've gone in there. Yeah. It's like so chill. It's such a vibe. Yeah. So are your socials? Um, yeah. Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, everything is at Serena Joy. So my name is spelled S A R I N A J O I. I'm sure it'll be on the title of this video, yes. but yeah. Hell so yes. everything's at Serena Joy. And um, if you see me around town, you see Blacktop Blonde, come talk to me. Let me know what you think. You know, I promise I'm not an asshole. No, she's not an asshole. She's amazing. <laughs> come up you're and amazing. Talk to me. I'm a little bit of an asshole on stage, but other than that, no, I'm pretty you're, cool. you're the best. You you put on great shows. Well, here, let's do this. I'm gonna do a little. Uh, little clink to you. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you out. for having me. And I actually have a little gift for you. Oh. You get the rest of that bottle of the Espelon. Oh, well, that is a gift. Yeah, That bottle of tequila is really important. That is for you. <laughs> and maybe I'll make a blended one of these next time we for us to a, hang like out. We gotta do like a frosé yeah. situation Oh my with God, this. that'd yeah. be a great, a tequila frosé. Tequila frosé, All right, yeah. well, cheers, girl. Thank cheers. you so much. Thank you. Right. I love you. I love you too. All right, bye. <laughs> Hey you, you just watched the very first episode of Nashville on the Rocks. And if you want to get to know the faces behind Nashville's kick-ass rock music scene, please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.